The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What's good, y'all? Welcome to another episode of In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast. My name is Jordan White, and I am joined once again by my good friend Christopher Weber. Schwebzy, how you doing tonight? Hi, friends. Doing good? We we are on, what, day four of the baseball season? We have completed the first uh, mini-week if you're in those leagues where they decide to let you have just the, a little, little taste before you get into your first full week. But uh, man, it's so good to be back into the baseball season. We're finally in the thick of things and it feels awesome. I'm really loving everything that's happening right now. Lots of great storylines already in this first week. Um, We'll go over a few of those today. Uh, Schwebs, just like off the top, what has been your favorite moment so far this season? Uh, My favorite favorite moment of the season, my favorite moment has been not getting to watch the Mets. That's of course said completely genuinely. Completely, completely. So yeah, I love, I love that I have to watch everyone else's team, and meanwhile, my own doesn't get to play because like a dozen Nationals have COVID or have been near COVID people or whatever. Facts. Uh, but upside, this coming week you do get to see Jake Degrom pitch twice. In theory, I would think. Yes. Yeah, you should get a two-start week out of Degrom, which may not have been the case previously. Makes me feel real sad because I drafted him number one with my first pick in TGFBI, and then Woof. he got delayed. So my uh, pitching stats are looking pretty meager right now. My I'm TGFBI team is ravaged. It's so bad. It's, it's really so bad. so bad. I mean, hopefully, uh, I mean, mostly just benefit for you, the listener, because now we've had to do a ton of research into who we actually want to nab to try to replace some of our ravaged roster. Uh, but yeah, let's kick things off, starting with. The story that I think everyone's really excited about, Yermin Mercedes, who came basically, I mean, for me, out of nowhere to become like the star of the first few days of this baseball season. Uh, Schwebs, how are you feeling about uh, Yermin? I So you know how like in recent years, we always get really excited when like, I don't know, uh, Williams Estudio comes up and it's like, oh, hey, look, look at the... The stocky yeah. guy's gonna hit. And then like it doesn't really happen. And then, you know, Arias does it and he he's another fun one. He's he's small and stocky and he gets a lot of base hits. And, you know, Alejandro Kirk is another one. Now, Yermin is like 
he came up and he did like the best case scenario. He had hits in his first eight major league plate appearances. Which is absolutely insane. What a start. Wait, no. Did you did you say his first his eight 20- major league plate appearances? Because technically, not true. Because he did have one at bat last year. Yes, he did. Oh, I found that he? out like probably two hours ago is when I realized that. Because I was looking at his uh, Fangraphs page. Oh, so- he got one at bat at the end of the year last year, apparently. And that's it. So, so what was it, like a walk or something? Why was everyone freaking out then? It's hard to say, honestly. Eh, whatever. First eight plate appearances <laughs> this year. Regardless. He got hits. And they weren't cheapies. Every single hit was over 90.8 miles per hour. And he's got something like a 96 average exit velo or something. That'll, that'll do. It's, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> that, that's fine. I can live with that. Uh, I actually, uh, I, I immediately went out and bid on him. He's he's now my utility player in my AL only league. That's actually a really good segue into kind of like diving deep on what we think of him for the future. So obviously you like him in an AL only league. Uh, I think he does have some application there. What about in like mixed leagues, deeper leagues like that? Do you think that there's a good outlook for Mercedes personally? So the fact that he's utility only does lower the floor significantly, I think, because I mean, you know, obviously any, anybody that you can only play in one position is, you know, th- their value is lessened, but utility specifically, because that's like, that's like the spot that you put the guy, you know, if you have, if you have too many outfielders, that's where your extra outfielder goes and all that, you know, we, we know the value of the utility spot. So clogging that up, you know, if, if Yermin isn't hitting, then suddenly it's just a completely wasted roster spot. So him being utility only adds to the risk. It lowers the floor. But I mean, the minor league profile makes me think that he could absolutely be a thing. Like he hasn't sh- so so far he has neither walked nor struck out. Sorry, until tonight, uh, we we were just we were just watching the uh, Angels White Sox game, and Shohei Otani was just absolutely filthy and struck out Yermin twice. But uh, yeah, like in the minors, he always had good strikeout rates. He in, even in the last couple of years, he had good walk rates. So I think the plate approach and the skills are there to actually be uh, mixed league relevant, given a full slate of plate appearances. But I I'm not going to say that mixed league players should be rushing out to bid on him immediately or pick him up immediately. I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. And like, that's the thing too, is like, you've got to think about this and kind of let the hype fade a little bit from your memory. And remember that at some point, Adam Angle is going to get off the IL. He's going to come back, be healthy. And then what happens that's going to push Andrew Vaughn out of left field. And will they put Vaughn at DH? And then there's also, they signed Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton's going to be like that fourth outfielder probably for them. I would figure is your meaning to get set back down or is his hitting going to allow him to maintain a roster spot? There's a lot of just like volatility in his future. So I'm kind of steering clear of him for the most part and letting other people, especially if he's available, like for, if you're trying to bid fab dollars on him or something like that. I mean, I'm not really interested in getting him. I mean, like you said, those Schwebs, the minor league numbers are pretty encouraging. It's pretty crazy that a guy who's 28 years old, 29 years old, whatever he is. I mean, he hit like 272 or higher pretty much every year in the minors except for one year of rookie ball a guy with a profile like that slipping through the cracks is really strange to me especially considering he was in the baltimore and white Sox systems and there was a lot of years where those teams were really not that great so i'm surprised that he never got a chance 
Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of goes back to the utility only thing. Like he's an emergency catcher, yeah, but that goes for major league teams too. Like he's only so valuable to a major league team when all he can do is hit. Yeah, true. I think that maybe if in like the age of analytics that we're in now, if that were like back when he was first coming up, I feel like he might have gotten a chance potentially, especially like with the Orioles earlier in his career. Because like being in the AL and having the DH available obviously makes the stock much better. But yeah, in a case like this, I mean, I'm not surprised since he literally like there's going to be better options. That's another thing, too, is I didn't mention before beyond the fact that Angle's going to come back and then push Vaughn out of left field. And then that DH spot might be taken up by Andrew Vaughn. You also have to think about Zach Collins is already on that roster as a backup catcher. And he's a much better defender than Yermin is or Yermin. So, right. He can actually catch. Exactly. So we got to think about that moving forward. I ju- I think he ends up getting sent back down, unfortunately, at the end of the day, unless he can continue just raking. Um, obviously not going to be able to keep up the pace that he's at through his first two games. As we've seen tonight, he hasn't gotten a hit yet as far as I'm aware. Um, but it's something to monitor. Keep an eye on him. Yeah. So like he might be their best option at DH. And they, I mean, listen to what you just said. They signed Billy Hamilton for depth. Yeah, but Billy Hamilton can at least play well defensively in the outfield and can, I mean, especially like when you look at, okay, do, would I want someone like as a fourth outfield option, would I rather have Andrew Vaughn, who has very clearly clearly stated that anything hit to his right when he is in left field is going to be his and anything to his left is going to be uh, Luis Robert to catch? Right, but my my point being more that this is a very, very shallow team. Their bench right now is Yermin, Jake Lamb, Leury Garcia, and Billy Hamilton. Like that's not that's not a strong yeah, bench. True. They might need him, like literally need him to, you know, stay up and you know hit some tanks. Yeah. I mean, for those that do have shares of Yermin, I hope that he stays up. Like optimistically, I think he's just been fun to watch just from a baseball perspective, beyond just fantasy. I hope that he stays up, but I just don't see a clear path to playing time for him, even if he does continue to hit semi-well. I just don't think that they can keep Andrew Vaughn out of that DH spot once Engel comes back and is healthy and playing every day. Yeah, the things that we're going to want to keep an eye on, I think, are if Zach Collins continues to scuffle, which at this moment he really, really is, uh, and, um, oh God, who am I thinking of? Oh, Adam Engel. Engel is going to be back from his injury soon, and that will possibly cause a you know a bit of a, a an overcrowded bench. And maybe they just go ahead and cut Billy Hamilton because Engel and Hamilton are kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's a bit redundant. Or uh, yeah, or or maybe Yermin gets sent down at that at point. This point. We'll see. I mean, Tony Larusa has been surprising people. I mean, like things like putting Adam Eaton at second in the lineup every day. Um, has been an interesting one. So he's not going to be do. He did he hit, hit a, a dinger. dinger. Yes, I mean, this is a <laughs> old school rules. <laughs> old school baseball, baby. Uh, yeah, this is the time to take those Let's early season, season victory laps. But we will see what happens in the south side of Chicago. Uh, moving on from that, uh, Schwebs, you want to talk about Michael Franco a little bit? Yeah, Michael Franco. Uh, this is actually like an easy one. There's not a lot to say here. Sometimes it actually just is easy. Franco's going to play every day. Camden is the frequent home of weird mid-career career career years. Like, just think back to Jonathan VR. 
Yeah. Like it's a good, it's a good home run park and he's got skills. He doesn't swing and miss that much. He makes plenty of contact. He has 25 home run power and in Camden, that could be 30, you know, in, in basically his last full seasons where the plate appearances, uh, he's got 25 home runs and he does that pretty consistently. So I, I think if you need a corner infielder or utility guy, he, I wouldn't call him like, like a high tier set it and forget it type, but I do think he is set it and forget it. Like you just don't need to think about that spot unless you have a clear upgrade after that. Yeah. I mean, the thing that kind of limits him in a certain sense is that he's not the greatest defender at third base. Look, man, they've been, they've been running out. Oh, oh, who, who's the Renato Nunez for a while. I think, I think they're used to that. I think they're, I think they're okay with that. Yeah. I mean, one sparkling example of defense for another at this point. Um, But yeah, I think that the bat is going to play up definitely in Camden Yards. So I think that because what is his uh, ownership percentage at right now? Do we know offhand? Uh, that was that was a thing that I was supposed to write down and did not. Uh, it is at ten percent. So he's going to be available out there for folks to nab right now. I mean, I think he's fine for a bench bat if you need someone to step in at third base and cover an off day or like even slot in at that util spot. He's going to provide some value. Yeah. Now, full disclosure: the ownership numbers that we have are ESPN and Yahoo which tend not to be the savviest owners compared to the greater fantasy baseball landscape. But uh, it could be a strong indication that Mikel Franco is available in your league. Yeah, I know that he was on a semi-decent amount of TGFBI fab bids uh, this weekend that just processed tonight. So I know that his ownership percentage in TGFBI has gone up if he wasn't already owned in some of these leagues. But in a lot of like the Yahoo and ESPN leagues, he's still probably going to be out there. So feel free to nab him if you'd like. Um, so on on my own teams, uh, on my TGFBI, Franco was my backup plan if my Jonathan India bid did not go through. And uh, just to really, really quickly touch on India, he's at 21% ownership, which mm-hmm. technically makes him not eligible for this podcast. But if he's available in your league, I'd say go ahead and grab him because he's been pretty impressive so far, I think. I mean, I'll let you fudge the numbers on that. That's pretty close. And I'm going to fudge the yeah. numbers pretty hard on an example later in the episode. So you get a free pass on this one. And 21% is close enough. I think that's within uh, <laughs> the uh, margin of error in this case. So don't sweat it too much, Webs. But moving on to the race situation. So there's a little bit of a interesting playing time split that we have to kind of think about due to the G-Man Choi injury. So he's not playing at first base because he's out currently. I can't remember what his injury is. Did he... Arthroscopic knee surgery. Thank you. Yeah, he had a knee thing. Okay, that's what I thought. But let's just take some time to go over some of the other options that they have there. So, Schwebs, do you want to talk about like Yandy Diaz? I am on the record as saying that I love Yandy Diaz. It's it's kind of the opposite of our usual uh, big boy hit ball far. It's just big boy hit ball really, really hard. Yes. Uh, it's just just on the ground. It's like Yandy Diaz is who we really desperately want Vlad Guerrero Jr. to not be, but that's still a decent, that's still a pretty decent player, right? It was funny. I was literally just about to make that comp and then you did it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Great minds, great minds. Always. Yeah. Yandy really, really is a shiny example of the good things that happen when you hit the ball hard, kind of regardless of where you hit it. 
it, he'll he'll kind of forever be like a what could have been because if he ever did elevate, he'd be an absolute monster. But he's a valuable player in his own right, even with what he does now. I think he's a really strong batting average play over the next month. Uh, he he and uh, in OBP formats, he's really nice too. He had like a four hundred plus OBP last year. Yeah, because uh, it's a strong walk rate paired with that really great uh, batting average. Yeah, I mean, in his career, he's only had a walk rate below 10% once, which is pretty solid, I would say. So yeah, the OPP is always going to be pumped up a little bit with Yandy. And then the strikeout rate's pretty reasonable too. He puts the ball in play a ton. So with some Babbitt mm-hmm. luck, he could perform really, really well. I like this one a lot. Um, and then he's currently only owned in like 2% of leagues, right? Right. That was actually who I dropped to pick up Yermin in that uh, AL only league I was talking about. Oh, wow. So I guess... So that's an interesting one because I don't know if your mean long term is going to be as good of an option as Yandy is because Yandy's going to probably hit in the heart of that raised lineup for the most part, isn't it? Like probably like fourth, fifth, sixth somewhere from day to day. You know, uh, you may remember that last night I asked you, "Hey, how do you rank Vaughn, Yermin, and uh, and Yandy?" And that was because I was trying to make this decision. Oh. I, I like them all. I do. I like them all. Yeah, but. Uh, I'm, I was trying to catch lightning in a bottle, so I, I I opted not to drop a ton of fab on Vaughn, and instead I dropped about ten percent on Yermin and cut Yandy. I don't know. I like I I feel like I may regret it um, because I I it's a team, especially since it's a team that needs some batting average. But uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. What about uh, what about Wendell, the official mascot of the In the Deep podcast? Oh my god! Yeah. Also, the official mascot of. Zach Dobroff, I would say as well, one of our pitcher lists plus uh, comrades. Wendell has a nice blend of like contact and speed that I like quite a bit. I don't know. I just he's not going to start every day. He'll start against righties. The speed well, is a I nice know, boost. I, like he that's might what I'm saying. Some like, since bases. all these, sorry to interrupt, but like since these third basemen are all going to be playing first base more often, that just opens up that many more opportunities for Wendell. Wendell was playing almost every day already. He was playing like three out of four. Like, I feel like that, I feel like his playing time can't help but go up if all of these third basemen are going to be filling in for G-Man Choi. That's true. I think that he's still going to be in a split with like Mike Brasso, most likely. Mm Mm-hmm. Although Brasso might just switch off with like Yoshi Satsugo at first base. They might be the two that cover first. Yeah, that's tough. Cause, well, Yandi's going to play third most of the time. So that's the thing, too, is you got to look at it. Uh, I don't know. It's hard. Because, well, that's the thing as well is Wendell can play all over the place, right? Right. So he's going to have that utility. Yeah, everything left of first base. Exactly. So, I mean, Wendell, for now, how many games has he played in so far this year? I should have looked this up beforehand. But- uh, he, He's played in both of the... Tampa Bay game so far. Oh, they've only had two. Uh, did they play on? Uh, maybe, maybe he didn't play Thursday. Maybe he did sit one. Got it. Yeah, but something to monitor. If he's getting playing enough playing time, then I would be happy to have uh, Joey Wendell on any of my rosters, just simply because of the stolen base upside. And if he is getting more playing time, like Schweb said, now with G Man Choi going to be out for a nondescript amount of time. I don't know what they said the recovery timeline on his arthroscopic knee surgery was but it's about a month for four to six i think yeah but he's a strong side platoon bat so he should get more playing time because of that as well so keep an eye on wendell if he is available in any of your leagues he's oh gosh what is he owned currently 10 percent, 10 percent owned so yeah he's going to be available in most of your leagues as well 
Uh, so keep an eye out for Joey Wendell if you need someone to fill a stopgap and pretty much, I think he's eligible at second base, shortstop, and third base on most platforms, right? Uh, yeah, second. Yep, yep. Yeah, so Joey Wendell, definitely someone that you can have on your roster that will be able to fill any of those infield spots. Moving on to Michael A. Taylor, who has had an exceptional first couple games. He's uh, shown up and shown out for Kansas City early on here. That Kansas City offense has actually looked pretty electric. I don't think it's going they to last. Frisky. I don't think it's going to last personally. I think that they might I've be been saying, play, but dude, I've been saying all off season that they're they're sneaky. They've got a lot of and oh gosh, it's so I'm so torn on them. I just don't know. So they're not they're not as deep as San Francisco, but they're they're kind of almost doing the thing where like yeah, they don't have any stars really, but they have like a guy who can play at like every position almost basically except for a shortstop while Mondesi is out. Yeah, exactly. Because now they're playing Nicky Lopez. Yeah, and, much, to, much to everyone's chagrin not bringing up Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt, like, yeah. I don't, I, I'm not trying to diss on Nicky Lopez, but I am trying to diss on teams that are trying to keep service time manipulation to a maximum. Just, yeah, don't like that. Just, just bring him up and let him play. But, Michael A. Taylor, someone that historically has had a lot of swing and miss in his game. I mean, K rate's historically around 30 to 35% back when he was with Washington. It was never very good. I just, he offers a little bit of speed upside, but he really hasn't stolen many bases in the past couple of years either. I just don't know if I'm really bought in on Michael A. Taylor actually being improved here or not. Schwebs, what do you think of him? Yeah, so any anytime someone hits a couple home runs in the first few games, they're going to be a popular waiver wire pickup. Uh, the question here is, is Taylor going to stick? And like his draw historically has been like teen home run power and teen plus stolen base uh, capability. But as you said, the last couple of years, he hasn't really stolen as many bases. So I think the, the key to his fantasy relevancy is going to be does he run or not and i mean we've said often here that the uh the, the key to stealing bases uh, often is intent so is he fast enough to steal bases still like yeah he is the question is is he going to do it or not and that remains to be seen because he has zero stolen bases so far he's got 97 percentile sprint speed he is fast. He's so, incredibly fast. So far, so far in 2021, which is, uh, you know, on a limited number of uh, sprints, but he's he's got the speed to run and I see no reason why he would stop. So I, I think if he plays every day, then I think you are still looking at that 15 to 20 stolen base potential, you know, given like 450, 500 playing uh, plate appearances. Yeah, I just, man, it's tough for me. I, I, st- I don't know if I, I'm I'm going to be pretty gun shy about this one for a while. I mean, I'll keep an eye on Michael A. Taylor. I just don't think I can buy in because I feel like this is the type of thing where I try to spend some fab money or I spend some salary in auto new to pick him up as like a bench bat and I try to stream him and he just kills my average, doesn't steal a base because he can't get on. I just so uh, fun with small sample sizes. You want to know what his X slug is right now after nine batted balls? I'm going to say it's like 780. It's 1.442. Oh, yeah. You're you yeah, almost double. It. I have it. Okay. <laughs> his his <sighs> his Woba is 791. 
and his ex-woba is higher than that. Obviously very sustainable as we both obviously can tell. very sustainable <laughs> but but the point of that is that he has in fact hit the crap out of the ball he has earned this early season hot streak yes he has he has been making good like, contact no one can sustain this but he is really really playing well right now it's you know none of this is cheap for sure um so i guess for you are you someone that's looking to add michael a taylor or wait and see on him i mean if i'm in a if i'm in like a five outfielder league so you're talking uh like let's say you're you're in a, like a 12 team five outfielder that's 60 outfielders i absolutely think he could be at the very tail end of that like he should probably be on he should probably be on rosters in any league that uh rosters that many outfielders okay that's fair and, and any if you're in a 12 teamer where with like three outfielders no definitely no, not definitely not worth it um i would agree there yeah um yeah, I'm still pretty cold on him. I'm going to wait and see. Hopefully, I mean, knowing my luck by that time, it's going to be too late and someone will already have grabbed him. He's going to have a monster year and go like 20 and 20 or something crazy like that. But I doubt that's going to happen. I don't. I think that the K rate's going to catch up to him and he's going to revert back to his former self. Look, at, at, at this point, he's got a career low K rate of zero. <laughs> yeah. So, also, once again, very sustainable. <laughs> Uh, hopefully I don't eat any crow on this, but uh, I love, I love early season, small sample shenanigans. It's so love silly. It. It's so silly. I mean, that just, it just like reminds me of, I can't remember what year it was, but it was when like Dimitri young in the first game of the year for the tigers hit three home runs. It's like, Oh yeah, he's on pace for 480 homers. <laughs> Did he do it? I'm going to say not quite. Oh, I think he hit like disappointing. 27 that year or something like that. But uh, moving on to someone that uh, Schwebzy is kind of eating crow on right now. Oh my god! Due to small sample sizes, once again, Nate Lowe. This is so upsetting. So during the off season, uh, we were doing our position <laughs> previews, <laughs> and we got to the corner infields. And when we got to the corner infield prep, I had it very, very set in my head. I am going to talk about Nate Lowe, and then I started researching Nate Lowe, and I was looking at his uh, like like pitch type stats and i saw that against fastballs he was bad and then i dug a little deeper and it was like if the pitch velocity was 93 or higher he was basically like billy hamilton bad worse actually so i was out on nate low from that point i was like dude if this guy can't hit 93 miles an hour like why would i ever want him in the modern game yeah exactly understandably so right yeah and then in the first game of the season, he hit like a three RBI double on an opposite field, like bloop double that Benintendi dove for and missed. Oh. It, the, the, the expected batting average on that was like 50, like zero five zero. So that was fun. Uh, and then I was like, well, you know, it was it was one thing, right? And then his next two hits were off of fastballs of like 95 and 92.9 single and a double, nothing big. And then uh, Brady Singer tried to backdoor slider, missed, threw it down and into a lefty, and he hit it about three miles. <laughs> it was, you know what? I saw the video of that, and I made an audible noise when he made contact with that ball. It's just like the, oh. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, uh, and I mean, that's, that is what we expect Nate Lowe to do. He got a hanging slider. He hit it very, very far. And so that one didn't bother me. It was the other stuff that was annoying. But anyway. He's got nine RBIs already. And, <laughs> That's insane. Uh, I know. He's got nine RBI already. Yeah. 
so, I mean, yeah, it's whatever you want to say, whether it's uh, can't predict ball or Schwebzi is dumb, whatever you want to go with, go feel free. But uh, Lowe has nine RBIs. He uh, RBI. He's got a home run. Uh, he's playing every day. He appears to be locked into a nice lineup spot. So I, he's absolutely worth roster. He's absolutely worth putting into a corner infield spot. He's he might be a low tier like first baseman. Yeah, I mean, in, in a deep enough league, I would probably try to have him be like a corner infield bench bat that I could slot in on days off for my other guys. I mean, ah, that really hurts me I'm to say because I was really, I was yeah, I was in the same boat as you. I was not bought in on him it's whatsoever. Been, After you were too, right, we we <laughs> sat together. While we were in doing research for that corner infield episode, and like, bro, 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 look, look at this, look at this, and you just literally read like I'm gonna have read about Nate Lowe. I was like, okay, cool, and then you started rattling off bad thing after oh, bad no. thing after bad thing, and yet here we are, three games into the season, and you're like, I'm kind of in on Nate Lowe. Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited for my fantasy uh, credential. Like, I I want to be the guy who hated Nate Lowe the year he had 150 RBI. That's going to be, that's going to be, we all are going to have, uh, bad takes exposed at some point. It's just a matter of time. We're, and that's the thing. Like we, we, we know stuff about fantasy baseball. We are, we are not perfect. <laughs> we are not sparkling by any means. We're going to have, I was. that was the moment that, that ruined my perfection. <laughs> We're going to have just honestly, some absolute turds of opinions every once in a while, because we just oh, don't see something you know that what? someone else does. Speaking of which, speaking uh, of and speaking of speaking speaking of actually, yeah, speaking of turds, and speaking of me being absolutely wrong on something, uh, I just want to shout out my co-host for calling that Jake Arietta spot start. Oh, baby! And it I feels so good. So much, victory laps abound. So much crap for that. Let's go. I will take a victory lap on that happily. But you know what? We can also take a shared victory lap on being very, very right about streaming, like. Evan Longoria, Wilmer Flores, and every Giants right hand Austin Slater against uh, the two lefties for the Mariners. Like that first game, when you see when when you make a prediction like that, you see both Evan Longoria and Austin Slater go deep. Chef's kiss, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. it felt so. A lot good. of the guys, uh, a lot of the guys we called out in uh, last week's episode have graduated out of that twenty uh, percent ownership thanks to their strong performances early, which is a super good feeling for us. Obviously, we're going to take this opportunity to take a very very, very probably undeserved victory lap. Uh, I'm going to you know rev what? up my tiny child-sized <laughs> Jeep that I use for my victory laps. His his little tykes pedal car. Just Knees against around. my cheeks. Just, <laughs> just zooming, <laughs> zooming around the driveway. Me and Schwebs playing bumper cars with the little tykes pedal cars. <laughs> Anyways, uh, who are we even talking about next? Oh, yeah. Uh, Jazz Chisholm. Speaking of fun things like riding around in pedal cars, Jazz Chisholm. <laughs> He's been so fun to watch early in the season. I love him. I love him with his like goofy blue hair. And it's not uh, even just, goofy. It's just really freaking cool. Is what it, it is. is really cool. Like <sighs> the the. So I see blue hair and I think streamer. Like I I don't it, I don't attach it with swag. <laughs> I think of ninja. Oh, he, I mean. I'm going to say that he's at least 10 times cooler than Ninja is, is probably because he doesn't like try to Fortnite dance on New Year's Eve on ABC. But, you know, that's fair. I think I think I need to mentally readjust my stance on blue hair after this. But <laughs> uh, so stolen base speculators, this uh, this section is for you. So Jazz Chisholm is so fast. He's incredibly like, fast. Oh, my God. It's 
like yeah, we we saw like Jose Altuve tag up on like a pop up to second base the other day behind second base, and Jazz Chisholm is that kind of fast. Like Chisholm stole second and then stole third immediately after, uh, like uh, yesterday's game, uh, Sunday. So like, yeah, I, I, it's just he's such an exciting player. He's like the stretching doubles into triples kind of player, and then you know it. He's just fun. It's it's sometimes it is just about fun with this game and it's just the kind of guy that you want to own on your team uh i had the choice in my nl only league of miguel rojas or jazz chisholm as soon as uh chisholm was handed the second base job and i could have I, I like miguel rojas i'm on the record as being very very pro rojas yes and i went with chisholm just because i think the upside is much higher and there's a fun factor and he's going to steal bases i think even if he struggles mightily, the one thing that he's going to continue doing is stealing bases because I I kind of have the feeling that he's going to be the kind of player that like just continues to try to make things happen. Can I? So for me, at the end of the day, we obviously want to be competitive in our leagues. That's the whole point of like doing this podcast. That's why we talk about all these people. But another point of fantasy baseball is that you're supposed to have fun doing it. And I really, really, really like having people on my roster that I can cheer for. And Jazz Chisholm is one of those people. Like, it, it reminds yeah. me of the same energy for those that, I, I mean, I always have to make everything about being a Brewers fan because I just do that frequently. But his energy that he's exuding early in the year here reminds me of Tony Plush, Niger Morgan. Back when, oh my God, back when he was with the Brewers. Like, he was so fun to watch play. He was such a personality. And that's, something that I super duper enjoyed cheering for as a Brewers fan. And when you have someone like Jazz Chisholm in the game who brings a lot of that really awesome energy and that hype to his squad, it's someone that I want to have on my rosters just because it's more fun to cheer for him. Like you should be doing this and having fun too. Like, obviously I think he's a great base stealer. I think that he's going to find himself sticking in that lineup and producing for you from a fantasy perspective, especially in an area where a lot of people need it in their roto leagues. But having someone that you can cheer for that you actually like as a person and a player in real life rather than just fantasy makes this so much more fun. Yeah, like I, I should dislike Chisholm because he could haunt the Mets for a very long time. <laughs> but I can't. I can't do it, at least not until he actually does it. You can't knock a guy for having fun playing the game. No. And not for nothing, um, Chisholm just hit, I, I want to say it was like three home runs in spring training. And, you know, this, this isn't a, uh, as Blake Snow would say, this is not a slapdick prospect. This is a guy with some pop in his bat. There is offensive upside here outside of just the stolen bases. Yes, there is. Yeah, it's just a matter of if he gets consistent playing time. Obviously, like you said, John Birdie is occasionally going to get starts at second base there. Um, Isan Diaz is another person that might come up at some point and steal some opportunities from him but if he can continue honestly i think i think it's gonna be mostly about energy for him like when he's in the lineup he provides a boost of energy to that entire team that i think is really valuable beyond just beyond just the statistical aspect of the game stuff that's hard to measure yeah like jazz chisholm is just absolute dynamite in human form he had he had six stolen bases in spring training who tries to steal bases that many times in spring training like come on yeah i mean i feel like we saw a lot of stealing in spring training this year compared to previous years. It's true. But yeah, he's just fun to watch. He's exciting. More Jazz Chisholm, please. Always. Please. Also, one last thing about him. He is absolutely dripping 
with swag. He is so, he dresses so well too. That's the thing too. He's uh, God, there's so much to love about him. It's so so great. Uh anyways, um, moving uh from someone who is very Hollywood to someone who starred on a spinoff of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Is that a good segue? Was it Atlanta? Was it Beverly Hills? Oh yeah, I think it was Real Housewives. I, I mean, I don't watch any of those shows. I got to be honest. I'm just kind of guessing here. Real Housewives of some region or another. Real Housewives of insert United <laughs> insert States State geographical here. location here. Um, Michael Kopech, uh He looked pretty good so far in the one appearance that he had. Uh, Schwebs, you, I think, kept a closer eye on that one than I did. Do you want to talk a little bit about Kopech? I, th- I think I was in a chat with Nick Pollock as the Kopech start was uh, relief appearance was going on. And there was like a, a, a an audible reaction when Kopech popped <laughs> a 99 mile an hour fastball, like right on the up and in corner. It was, it was lovely. It was a great pitch. Was, I think who was he, think, throw, he was throwing against Pujols on that one, right? Maybe I I'd have to check, but it was a, it was a fantastic pitch and the breaking ball looked good too. And I don't necessarily think that you should pick up Kopech to use. Although I do think he will give you valuable innings when he does pitch. I don't know how much he'll pitch and that stops me from really recommending him in that way but i do think that if you have a league with deep benches that kopech is someone that you can take as a speculative stash because the white Sox are they they have aspirations of contending and their fourth and fifth starters as much as it pains me to say this are dylan cease and carlos rodon we love dylan cease here we but do. Uh, we actually were watching the start together just now that he just had against Los Angeles, and we were not impressed. He kind of just looked like 2020 Dylan Cease, which was not what we were hoping for. Yeah. I did so, almost guess his stat line exactly to oh, it, was, though, which yeah, is pretty it was uncanny. Impressive. So, if so, we've actually, uh, I'm about to talk about Carlos Rodon a little bit. He's got a nice uh, a schedule next week. But if, if they can't get anything productive out of Cease and Rodon, they could get transitioned to the bullpen and we could have a swap as Kopech makes some starts later in the year. And honestly, I would I would not bet any amount of money on both Cease and Rodon panning out. It's just it's just too high variance, those two. Yeah. Very so I, I think there's a really good chance that Kopech has an opportunity at some point this year. It might be one of those things where they ramp him up to start in the second half and get the bulk of his innings in the second half of the year, kind of like the uh, Mariners are doing with Logan Gilbert. But the stuff was just, it, it was good, man. It was it was just really, really electric stuff. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it was that 99 mile an hour fastball high and in too. I think it was Pujols. I think. But I just remember whoever was at the plate, it was a right-handed batter. He threw that fastball high and in and caught that top right corner of the zone from the pitcher's perspective. And the hitter just like matrixed back out of the way like, oh God. And... It was so satisfying to watch. Like you said, audible noises when they come out of you, when you see a pitch get thrown, that's really, really good. You know, it's a really good pitch. I think that they will stretch him out as the year goes on. And like you said, that back end of the White Sox rotation has some promise, but I don't think that both of them pan out as much as I want both of them to, especially Cease. I think that we're going to see Kopech starting by the end of the year. So if he's available in your leagues, honestly, grab him. They're going to try to stretch him out as it goes on. Um, and that volume pays dividends, especially if you're in a league that values good ratios, because he's going to give you plenty of strikeouts. 
lastly, in this little section of folks that we want to look at who performed this past week, someone that Schwebzy is also eating crow on and someone that stole Schwebzy's betrothed. Chris Flexen stole my betrothed and ran over my pet on the way out. It was very upsetting. So what happened is last week, Schwebzy said that Chris Flexen should be fired into the sun. What happened was Schwebzy tried to fire him into the sun. uh, And then Chris Flexen used the uh, gravitational pull of the sun as he wrapped around it and then slingshotted back towards earth and slapped Schwebzy in the face very, very hard. That old trick. That, you know, that old chestnut. Um, He was pretty good to my chagrin. He was pretty good. I was very upset about that because I did a DFS roster with multiple uh, left-handed San Francisco giant hitters hoping that they would get him. And he just like looked great Had reduced usage on his fastball from like over 50% the last time he was in the majors down to like 38% usage Mm -hmm. of his fastball in this last start using his off-speed stuff way more. He looked pretty solid. Uh, Schwebs, I know that this probably hurts for you to talk about a little bit, but please elaborate a bit on... What do you think of Chris Flexen? All right. So as far as like plate discipline results, he didn't get many chases. He didn't throw to the edges that much. Like it was well below league average and he got as many whiffs as he normally does, which is not a ton. And I know I am incredibly biased here, uh, but I want to say that he got lucky that that's what my gut says, given that's that, that information but as you said, the a, a really encouraging thing is the fastball usage. In 2019, which is the last time he pitched in the majors, he threw his four-seamer 58% of the time, almost 60. And oh God, he, yeah. like you said, he was, he was down like 37 this year. So you, you may remember that when we talked about Yusei Kikuchi, one of the things we mentioned was that he went from not having a cutter to the cutter being his bread and butter pitch. And... Don't look now, but Chris Flexen went from barely throwing his cutter to throwing it 33% of the time last night. And it was pretty effective, like really effective. Taking a note from who, Schweppes? You say Kikuchi? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe this is an organizational thing. Maybe the Mariners are are good at developing cutters or good at uh, identifying people who should throw cutters. But there might be something here, as much as it pains me to say. His next start is at Minnesota, which I think for me is a hard pass, but this might be worth a stash. This is probably worth a pickup. Yeah. I mean, if you're in like a auto new league that has like 40 spots, if you're in a league that has deep rosters, like beyond like 30 ish slots, I think that Flexen's fine to throw on the bench. Um, I'm going, I'm still also much like I am with someone like Michael A. Taylor, uh, I'm very much in a wait and see mode with Flexen. If he continues with a pitch mix like 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 he had in his first game, I could see him getting some reasonably good streaming opportunities throughout the season, and he might be worth that bench spot. So, I do also think that there was a little bit of luck, a little bit of luck involved. That's where I'm I, at too at this point. I want to see. I just want to see more because I want to see what each pitch does. Like, the, yeah, the cutter was really good in game one. But it's also the first time he's ever thrown it, so there's not a whole big frame of reference for opponents. But if that cutter is consistently good and it's getting a lot of ground balls, uh, then you know I'm I'm a lot more interested. Actually, I'd like to look at this here. I would love to see what his scatter plot looks like from his start because it should technically be up on Baseball Savant right now. So let me just flex in here real quick. I think an underrated aspect of Chris Flexen. 
is that if you have him on your team, it opens up a whole world of fantasy team names because you can get the classic flexing on him. That that's always a really good one. Oh my gosh! Oh, I just thought of the best name ever for a fantasy okay. baseball team. Imagine that you have one Chris <laughs> Flexen and then two Josh Haters. So you could be flexing on them haters. Flexing on the haters. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's so good. Uh, I will not have a team with both of them on it, very likely. Um, Me neither. But if you happen to have a team that has both Chris Flexen and Josh Hader on it, please feel free to steal that name because it rocks. Our gift um, to you. Yeah. looking at So the changeup, he did a really good job in his first start, keeping it down in the zone, used it 16% of the time. Uh, the cutter kind of scattered all over the place. But one thing that I did notice is that he did a really good job keeping his fastball elevated for the most part. It's in like the top half of the zone, mostly sitting arm side. But... It's still not a good pitch, though. Like the four seamers, just it, it straight up, not. not a good pitch. It's not. It's not a good pitch at all. Um, so something that I do think is notable is that his pitches that already existed and were thrown regularly, he didn't like. He didn't gain any. Like he actually lost velocity from his time in the majors in 2019, and he his spin rate is basically the same on everything. So his the pitches that already existed are pretty much the same. I think whether he's able to be successful or not now is going to be purely uh, command location and if this cutter works or not. For sure. Yeah. Um, keep an eye on Chris Flexen. Again, I'm not rostering him anywhere currently, but he's definitely worth uh, putting on your watch lists on most of your platforms. Moving to some two-start pitchers for the upcoming week. There's actually yeah. a couple guys that we like quite a bit here. Uh, starting out with Carlos Rodone, who's got some matchups that are pretty good in Seattle and KC. I think both of those are at home for him. I believe so. If I'm not mistaken, I should put that. I should write that when I'm writing my notes. You would th- you would think as a professional <laughs> podcaster that I would do things like that, but you'd be wrong. We're borderline. We're semi-professional. I would say at this point. <laughs> Have but. we been demoted because we've claimed to be professional podcasters before? Well, it varies. It's a fluid thing. We're we're called in the deep. It's an ocean pun. We're, it's it's all a fluid thing, right? <laughs> uh, we're we're trying we're trying to get like experience points to level up to professional, but we'll we'll see if that happens. Uh, so yeah, uh, we we have we have two guys who are in a similar spot. Uh, we have Carlos Rodon and Logan Allen. Rodon's owned in about twelve percent of leagues. Allen in four percent. So they both have similarly good schedules. Uh, Rodon gets Seattle and Kansas City. Logan Allen gets Kansas City and Detroit. We did mention before Kansas City, a bit of a frisky lineup, so that might be uh, that might be less of a great matchup than it appears, but it's not one of the better lineups in baseball. I prefer of these two, I prefer Logan Allen, and uh, I you know I practice what I preach, and I I made sure to get Logan Allen as a two star pitcher in TGFBI this week, and I I I, I think that this for me is purely kind of like an organizational thing. Well, first of all, I think I yeah. think Detroit's lineup. I think Detroit's lineup is worse than Seattle's for one thing. Uh, but I just trust what Cleveland does. Like both Rodone and Allen had pretty darn good spring trainings, which you know it's spring training. But I just I just really like what uh, what Cleveland does with their starting pitchers. I we talked about Allen in our starting pitching episode. He's got the right. Uh, profile to you know be worked with with uh, the way that Cleveland likes to work with their pitchers the poor pr- the poor fastball good secondaries uh, I I I 
wouldn't be mad if you went either way here. Like I think Rodon has more strikeout potential, but I'm I'm more confident in Logan Allen this week. Yeah. So I think I'm in the same boat with you by a pretty small margin. Again, just because of the bias that I have internal internalized from how much I enjoy having Cleveland pitchers on my staffs. Oh man. But at the same time, I think that uh, I, I think the other thing that puts it over the top for me having Allen over Rodon is I think that Seattle is just a slightly better and more likely to pop off offense than Detroit is. I'm much less impressed by the bats on Detroit's roster than I am on the ones on uh, Seattle's roster. So I would agree with you there. And do we have uh, ownership percentages on both these guys? 12% for Rodon. Four percent for Logan Allen. So on top of to to me and uh, to Jordan and myself, on top of them being uh, more desirable, uh, Logan Allen is also more available. True. So yeah, he should be available pretty much everywhere that you could imagine. Um, I think these are both probably going to pay off pretty handsomely. Obviously, we'll revisit this next week, and we could maybe once again either take a victory lap or eat crow. We will take every opportunity to do both because we want to call out both our victories and our mistakes because we are human. Moving on from our two start pitchers, kind of a good segue because Logan Allen, current Cleveland pitcher, moving to some relievers now. We're going to talk about a former Cleveland prospect, Julian Merriweather, who has been showing up and showing out in Toronto in his first couple of appearances, which has been pretty great. Uh, He's gotten two saves already this year. He was not slated or in any discussions to be a closer at all this year, but he's gotten two saves. He got the first one on opening day, which was really, really interesting. I thought Romano came in with the game tied in the ninth. And then in the top of the 10th, I believe the, yeah, because they're, they're in Yankee Stadium for the first series. Yes. Okay. I just had to make sure I was saying that right. So in the top of the 10th with the runner on second, the Blue Jays were able to score. And then obviously they had already used Romano. His pitch count was up a little bit. So they brought in Merriweather to pitch the 10th. And he just did something really casual and came out and stri- struck out Aaron Hicks, Giancarlo Stanton, and Glaber Torres. He's unreal. On 11 pitches. On 11 pitches. Absolutely insane. His fastball topped out on that appearance at 91, 99.1 miles per hour, and he averaged 98.4. His changeup looked absolutely sick. It's got like tw- almost 20 miles per hour of separation between that and his fastball. I do, I do not understand how you hit that. Yeah, no, he, his stuff, uh, like the, the best way to sum it up is, oh my God, because we were in the pitcherless discord when this first, really when both appearances were going on and all we kept hearing was like, what a perfect pitch, what a perfect pitch. Oh my God, what a change up. It was just, everyone was just gushing about it. Yeah. Aside from like one, one or like one spiked ball and then one ball that was barely out of the zone that got called for a ball. It was almost an immaculate inning. In that yep. first appearance. And then he just carried that over into his second appearance, too. That was today, the day that we're recording this against the Yankees again. Came in in the ninth this time after Romano pitched the eighth, which is really, really interesting. And also, this is somewhat reflected on the roster resource page for the Blue Jays because they now have Merriweather listed as a third closing option for that team after just not being in the discussion last week at all. Like, I know that we've talked about this previously, maybe off air. I can't remember if we brought it up on last week's episode or not. But we were thinking that it was going to be Delise or yeah, yeah. Romano getting the save opportunities. That was it. Delise was amazing last year. Yeah, he was very good. That's the thing. They have three people who are definitely not scrubs at the back end of that bullpen that can get so, the job done. 
it, it is worth mentioning that they brought Romano in to face LeMahieu Judge Hicks. Yes, which that's is, true. It's quite a bit more daunting than Glaber, Jay Bruce, Gary Sanchez. Absolutely. Completely true. Um, and I get bringing in Romano in that situation that is higher leverage because you want your best pitcher in that scenario, right? Um, but that doesn't really matter in fantasy if you're not getting the saves. Right. We want someone who's going to be able to get the saves. So again, today, came in in the ninth, struck out Glaber Torres on and just just a disgustingly dotted slider, which was so fun to see. And then Jay Bruce lined out to left center. And then after that, he threw two elevated fastballs in a row to Gary Sanchez that he literally just couldn't catch up with. Again, kind of just following that Blake Snell blueprint where he's throwing those high fastballs. And when you're throwing at a max of 104, which he hit in this last outing, not many people are going to be able to catch up to that, even the best of major league hitters. So, I mean, I'm super duper impressed with Julian Merriweather. He's someone that I kept an eye on last year for a while and finally picked up near the end of the season after he had an, a, just like a stellar performance. Because if he could put it all together, he's pretty elite as a reliever, I think. Um, and it's nice to see him having so much success early in the season. Unfortunately, I don't have him on any of my rosters and I lost out on all of my fab bidding. For zero him. for me. Yep. Zero shares, unfortunately. So to those out there that have him, tip of the cap, congratulations. I have Romano. Um, you do have Romano, and I think that's still going to pay off well. They're going to, I think they're both going to get saves at the end of the day. I think it's going to be those two now at the back end. I think Dolis might be the odd man out, honestly, so, at this point. Save holds leagues, and I think the deeper your league is, the more likely you are to be in the save hold league. Yes. Romano is still gold. Both of them, like both of them are, seem to be yeah. uh, great acquisitions. Definitely. Um, yeah, out of all, I'm going to mention a few more relievers here at the back end of the episode, but Merriweather's owned in 13% of ESPN and Yahoo leagues, aggregated, that is. If he's available in your league, just go out and get him. He's going to he's gonna collect some saves here and there. If it's a saves holds league, he shouldn't even be available at this point. You need to go get him before anyone gets wise. Um, Schwebs, anything else on Merriweather? Anything that you saw that you want to talk about? No, I mean, you pretty much covered it. The stuff is electric. The opportunity might be there. I mean, we we might see a timeshare, which we hate. But, uh, you know, I, I think that Merriweather, if the stuff stays like this all season, we might be seeing like one of those relief pitcher years that's worth it, regardless of what role he's in, where the quality of the innings and the strikeouts are so good that they're worth rostering regardless of their role. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the ratios are going to be there for him. I mean, his command has looked insane so far he's been dotting pitches on the edges the changeup has been expertly located every single time he's thrown it right at the bottom of the zone and like i said before like that discrepancy in velocity between his changeup and his fastball just leaves people frozen or swinging like six inches over the top there's really the fact that he has two very very good secondary pitches like that makes me super excited to roster him but anyways moving on we're also going to talk about someone else who was not expected to get saves got two saves in the first three games I'm upset. Cesar Valdez. After all of our just trials and tribulations of having Hunter Harvey as a closer that we really, really wanted to start the season, him getting hurt and then picking up Tanner Scott, thinking that he was going to get the lion's share of the save opportunities. Cesar Valdez now just has casually two saves out of three games to start the season. Um, Shrubzy, how do you feel about this one? I I, I don't like it. That's... (laughs) That's all I got. So he he doesn't have your traditional closers repertoire. No, which, not at all. No, the, the basically the complete opposite. He's he's got like a Jamie Moyer repertoire. Uh, yeah. So he basically throws mostly changeups. 
and uh, his fastball is is the backup. But so we we talked about this earlier because I was panicking. I'm like, nope, going out to drop Tanner Scott right now. And you you told me to hold my horses and yeah, do the I smart you off, thing and I not drop the ledge. I talked you off the ledge with that one because Tanner Scott still has the quote closer stuff and. He has been pitching in high leverage situations. Supposedly, the reason that Valdez closed that second game was a workload thing because Tanner Scott had thrown too many pitches previously in a, in the other game. Yeah, and they didn't want to overburden him two days in a row pitching in relief. So, I mean, it makes sense, obviously, but frustrating nonetheless. Very little stress on Cesar Valdez's arm. Yeah, when you're throwing a whopping, just like an absolutely fiery 85 miles an hour with that fastball that you don't even throw regularly. I'm pretty sure that's so fast that if you threw it past its stake, it would cook it. <laughs> like that kind of blazing, I would say. Anyways, just a bit frustrating. I'm not. You're not going to find me spending any fab dollars or trying to pick up Cesar Valdez off the waiver wire. He's currently owned in like 8% of leagues. You're not going to catch me rostering him. I, I, I don't think it's worth the hassle. I mean, if you think that he's going to remain in a timeshare with Tanner Scott and pick up some more saves, feel free to speculate. I just don't think he's going to get that many high leverage situations anymore. Um, but I'd be happy to be proved wrong in the situation, as always. One, Another one that's a little bit frustrating and just very out of left field, Chris Davinsky. Schwabzi, I would just like you to take this one. What year is it? Yeah. What Did- What is going on? <laughs> There was, was going point, I, there, there was a point today where like the the two saves that had been the, the last two saves that had been recorded in the league were by Corey Kniebel and Chris Davinsky. It's like this is 2015. Yeah, like what what is happening right now? What in the uh, world? Honestly, Chris Davinsky was completely out of my awareness. Like I don't even know if he's good anymore. Like I, I more more research needs to be done. I need to look into this to, because uh, did did you mention that it was Arizona? Oh no, I didn't even mention. I mean, yes, yeah, he is rostered by Arizona. Like, he's he's on I Arizona's not, roster. I didn't know yeah, who he. I should for not have told you today. I couldn't. Yeah, exactly. I did not even know Arizona had Chris Davinsky lurking in their bullpen. So. Also, if anyone tells you that they were on Davinsky and knew that he was going to be closing out games at any point, they're full of it because he's literally 0% owned on both ESPN and Yahoo. No one owns him. Obviously, that's probably going to change after today, but I doubt it's going to get any higher than like 5%. Just wa- just don't. No. Yeah. So just a brief update on the Arizona bullpen. Soria is experiencing some kind of pain hurting in his leg so he could be seeing some time out they've been using Crichton in both low and high leverage situations the kind of wherever i think he's been in in the sixth inning and in the eighth inning yeah i mean he's like he's he's gotten i think he's gotten a couple holds now but like he's not getting the closing opportunities which is very strange to me i don't quite understand that because he felt like the easy option number two to be in a closer role. And if you trust Davinsky to pitch the ninth, I don't understand why you wouldn't throw him out in those high leverage situations earlier in the game in like the seventh. Because I think Davinsky, I mean, Davinsky was going up against the very top of the order, essentially, if I remember right. Like he gave up a homer to Tatis and then eventually got out of a jam to finish that game. Yeah. So for those that don't remember, back in like 2016, 17, Davinsky was just straight up one of the most valuable relievers in baseball because he threw like 80, like he threw 110 innings in 2016 and then 80 in 2017. 
That's there fine. were five, there were five starts in that first year, but like he was really, really valuable. Like he was a reliever that was worth four war over two years, which is a ton for a reliever. So at one point he was like really, really elite, but that period of time ended four years ago. So like, I just, like, like I said before, I just, I don't even know what he's got anymore. Like I need to go back and watch the end of this game to see if he's worth speculating on. I mean, huh, I, I don't think he is. Again, this is this Probably is not someone not. that I'm planning on adding anywhere. If I mean, if you're gonna say, like say you have a thousand fab dollars, if you want to try to spend like two or three bucks on him, that's probably gonna be enough to win him. Yeah, maybe lightning in a bottle. Who knows? I mean, keep an eye on the situation. Everything is so fluid right now. Everything is so crazy with relievers. Just keep an eye on Davinsky, but I doubt that he's actually gonna get that many high leverage scenarios moving forward. Uh, moving on to someone else who also kind of in a weird series of events got a save today, I believe. Wade Davis picked up his first save today. He's like 4% owned. And it was mostly just because Greg Holland found himself in a pickle because he gave up a run, which was unearned. But then he also gave up a hit and walked two people. So I don't expect the job to fall to Wade Davis now that Greg Holland has had a really just like one poor outing. I don't think that's going to like cause Wade, or cause Greg Holland to lose the job. And even if he does, I'd much rather speculate on someone like Josh Stalmont, who has a higher ceiling when it comes to providing like K to nine ratios and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, this, this is just continuing the trend of what year is it with Wade Davis also getting a save. So this, the save was yesterday. And then today, uh, Wade Davis gave up a home run to Isaiah Kiner Falefa, the, uh, slugger that oh, he yeah, is. That, yeah. It was yesterday. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. The, uh, I'm just shocked that Texas keeps scoring so many runs. Like how do, why do, how do they how are they abusing Kansas City's pitching staff this way? Texas sneaky good. I don't know. Uh, I, don't I don't know, think man. So. Think I don't, it might I don't be think weird so. early seasons shenanigans. I mean, they've got a lot of guys that can hit the ball really far. I mean, between um, Lau and or Low. Lowe and um, Joey Gallo, they've got some big boys that can hit the ball very far. So I think that they're probably going to rack up some dingers. But like that just seems like such a volatile offense. I don't expect them to continue performing like they have. Back when, uh, back when Tampa Bay had like Lau, Low, and also the other Low in the minors, did anyone ever make the joke about like the apple bottom jeans and like you know Shorty's got Low, 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 and Low? Was that Florida? Florida, yeah. Is that who that was? When was the last time Florida? I'm not trying to crap on Florida. If anyone's dating myself. Yeah, if anyone's a Florida fan, I'm like I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything. I'm just trying to remember the last song that Florida released, and just trying to also make Shrubsy feel extra old. No need. <laughs> I feel ancient. Beyond that, last person that I'm just going to mention. This is like a very cheap mention, but for some reason, Alex Reyes is still only owned in like 15 percent of ESPN leagues. Why? Why? Why would why would that happen? There's no reason that he should not be owned at this point. St. Louis's offense is probably one of the better ones in that central division in the NL. And so one Reyes is going to get opportunities to close out games Two, They also want him to pitch a hundred plus innings this year or around a hundred innings. I should say you don't get a blend of a reliever who has been very clearly named a closer by the manager and is expected to pitch a hundred innings in a year. That is a unicorn. Go get him. Like if your league mates haven't wised up to that yet, please, please, please get Alex Reyes on your roster immediately. 
Yeah, you could start seeing a bunch of two-inning saves out of him, which would be just amazing for fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that's it for Schwebs. Got anything else? Uh, oh, oh, very briefly on the prospect side of things. The uh, Arizona Diamondbacks are bringing up uh, Geraldo Perdomo. Yes, they are. And I don't think he's going to be super fantasy relevant, but, you know, pay attention. See, you know, make sure you're keeping an eye on those Arizona box scores. Yeah, that's I don't, nice. I don't think he's got the kind of skill set that you should be like rushing out to pick him up immediately. But, uh, you know, keep an eye. So sometimes, sometimes these kids surprise. Yeah. This was a stopgap because who got hurt? Was that Peralta? Nick Ahmed. Or Nick, Nick Ahmed. Yeah. Nick Ahmed got hurt and they want to fill that stopgap. So again, not someone that I'm necessarily running out to get in any of my leagues, but just throw them on the watch list and try to keep an eye on those box scores. Like Schweb said. That's going to be all for us this week on In the Deep. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to hear from Schwebzy and I some more, feel free to follow our shared Twitter account at In the Deep PL or individually at Bunt Singles for me and Schwebzy at Schwebzy. That's S H W E B S I. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave a review of the pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get all of your podcasty goodness. Schwebzy, send them out. Bye, friends. 